Oh, man. How about this weather? Sunshine, baby, finally. Guys, listen, I, uh, we're on the up and up, okay? Almost 80 degrees next week. Have you checked it? Here we go. Listen, I, uh, I love living in Michigan. Great place, beautiful place, but good Lord. I could go without, I don't know, the six months of clouds and snow. It, uh, amen, I, amen, Connor. Let's go. There are better places to live than Michigan. It's beautiful down south, sunny. My poor wife, anybody get seasonal depression? Just clouds, Anna. I, guys, I had to get on Amazon and buy my wife a happy light. You guys know what those things are? It simulates the sunshine. Goodness. Guys, I'm not kidding. The first thing my wife does in the morning when she's on her phone, she's not checking Instagram. She's not checking the text messages. She's checking the weather app every morning. And, and I just have to remind her, you know, babe, we can just make it to March. If we can just make it to March. Turns out I lied. If we can just get to April, we will be in the clear. So winter is temporary, not forever. Spring is coming. Okay, spring is here, baby. Let's go. Any seniors in the house graduating soon? Can we, guys, can we just give them a round of applause? They made it. You did it, Gabby. I'm proud of you. You know, the seniors know a little bit about this. The only thing getting them through the winter of school is just the mental image of them graduating and walking across that stage and getting that diploma. Uh, guys, I almost started this entire sermon telling you the story of my wife going into labor. Uh, decided to spare you of the details. Uh, the only thing that got my wife through, guys, pregnancy's hard, okay? You're round, it's uncomfortable. Uh, my wife had 20 hours of induced labor where she initially rejected the epidural and then about 12 hours in said, give me the needle, like give me the shot. Uh, it was tough, but the only thing that got her through it was my constant refrain, EJ is coming, it's gonna happen, okay? This is not gonna last forever, okay? Summer is coming, graduation is coming, the baby is coming, winter will be over soon. You know, it's pretty simple, you guys know this, that uh, the, human, the human soul uh, needs something to look forward to, okay? It runs on hope. We're talking about hope, okay? You need something to look forward to, something to long for, okay? Something in the middle of the dark night of the soul, reminding yourself that the sun is going to rise again, one day. Whatever it is, you're going through something challenging, you're going to have something to hope on to. It's really simple, okay? The human soul without hope is like a fish without water. It's not going to last, okay? The human soul, it needs something to look forward to, something to long for. And I'm not talking about a blind hope, a wishful hope. No, I'm talking about a steady hope, a secure hope, something that's going to get you through challenging times. And I share that with you tonight at the beginning because as I look around at the world that we live in, I'm not seeing a lot of hope. Okay, in fact, I can make a decent argument that the reason why the mental health decline in our generation, the hostility, the division, is because we live in a world with no hope, no God, no purpose, no meaning, no hope, nothing to look forward to and nothing to long for, and a world without hope is going to fall apart. And if you stick with me here, I mean, we just went through some challenging things as a generation, COVID, but not just that, okay, especially at Michigan State since the shooting, February 13th, okay, this tragedy that we all walk through, continue to walk through, just a weight of hopelessness on our campus. And I don't know if you guys remember, they did this vigil after the shooting. I went to at The Rock, maybe some of you went, uh, and I was very pleased that Michigan State did this vigil to honor the lives of those killed. So I go out there, thousands of people, if you just picture this, at the auditorium, 
going there looking for what? Hope, right? Encouragement. And so thousands of people rushed near this auditorium. It's cold. And no disrespect to the speakers who spoke that night. But the only things that were said at that vigil were empty platitudes and cheap self-help feel-good messages. Empty. No substance. And I'm standing there, and people, I, I promise you, everybody walked away dead silent, leaving with less hope than they came in with. So I'm standing there, and I'm thinking about how we're going to end the, the year here at SALT. And I'm like, bump this, man. The world has no ho hope to offer, but we do. We do have hope. And so what I want to do tonight, and really with the end of the year, is I want to pump hope into, into this room. And in fact, I want to talk specifically about the one hope that all Christians share, and that is the hope of heaven. Okay, I want to talk about heaven, this idea of heaven. I want to kick off a three-week series on heaven, and then on the fourth week, we're going to end with a massive worship night here. And so we're talking about heaven. Yes, we're so excited. Worship night, let me go. Now, here's the thing. Right away, when we talk about heaven, I know for a fact in this room that there are probably 100 and maybe 200 people who have a misunderstanding of heaven. A lot of people in the church, when they think about heaven, they have a misunderstanding. Why? Because a lot of people's understanding of heaven comes from all kinds of stuff. I mean, we're talking culture, TV shows, movies, Left Behind series. Okay, a lot of people, when they think about heaven, they think about what? They think about clouds, harps. Out of babies with wings and the golden gates and singing repetitive songs forever and ever and ever, 10,000 years. Guys, this was my view of heaven up until a few years ago. Okay, my, my view of heaven came from Tom and Jerry, Looney Tunes, and the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven, which theologically got issues with that. But anyways, or I remember being at camp. Dude, I remember being at camp. I'm in East Texas at camp. My buddy's falling asleep, and the pastor calls him out and says, he says, boy, if you don't like this worship service and this sermon, you're not going to like heaven because that's all we're going to be doing in heaven. As if heaven is just going to be a 10,000-year sermon from Austin Wadlow and, uh, and Caleb Mitchell singing age to age 10,000 times. Although, although I would not mind that, Caleb. That would be a good time. But the question, or amazing grace, right? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, well, we've no less days to sing his grace than when we first begun. But is heaven only going to be singing for a thousand years, 10,000 years? Is that all we're going to be doing in heaven? Because for a lot of us, that sounds a little bit challenging to us. I remember I was at UNT where I went to school, and I'm sharing the gospel with this guy at the union. And I'm sitting down with him. He did not know Jesus, but he's getting close, man. I'm telling him about Jesus and how we're sinners. We've offended a holy God, but Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins, and he's leaning in. He's hooked on every word. But at the very end, right when I thought this dude is about to give his life to Christ, he said, Zach, you know what? That sounds great, but heaven sounds lame, and I'd rather go to hell. And he walked off. And the question, I, the question I've been wrestling with is this. Is heaven lame? Is heaven going to be lame? I want to, for the next three weeks, ask that question. Is heaven going to be lame? What does the Bible say about heaven? Is heaven going to be boring? Or is it going to be the most incredible thing we could ever imagine? That's what I want to look at in this series. And so tonight, and my hope 
really this whole series, is to deconstruct a false view of heaven and reconstruct a biblical one in its place. Because I'm convinced that your view of heaven will impact you today. So I'm trying to bust out of the black and white box of heaven that we have and show you what does the Bible actually says. Because C.S. Lewis says this, those who make the biggest impact on this world are the ones who set their mind on the one to come. And I'm just sitting here saying, you want to make an impact? Let's think about heaven for three weeks. So that's where we're going for the next three weeks. And my hope is that it fills you with hope and joy. Sound good? Okay, before we go forward in time, let's go backward in time. Grab a Bible and go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I need to do something before we get to the book of Revelation that I promise you is going to be worth it. Genesis 2. It is the second chapter of the first book of the Bible. Shouldn't be that hard to find. In Genesis 2, we have a second creation account. Genesis 1 is the first creation account. Genesis 2 is the second. Common in Hebrew literature was to tell a story from one point of view, come back, retell it in a different way, more details, and from a different perspective. That is what Genesis 2 is. So we're in Genesis 2. It's a creation account. And here's where we're going to start reading, verse 4. But here's what I want to do. We're going to read a chunk here. But as I read... I want you to use your imagination, and I want you to try to picture what we're reading here. Okay, Genesis 2, starting in verse 4. It says this, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush on the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused the rain on the land yet. There was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Verse 8. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, stick with me. The next part is going to be a little dense. Take a deep breath. Okay, here we go. Verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first one is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the land of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, that's the first passage we're going to look at tonight, the famous Garden of Eden passage. And there's a lot here, but here's what I want to do. I want to point out a few things from Genesis 2 that we just read. There's three lanes, if you will, that I want to run in with this passage in our next one. I want to show you. Okay, the first one is I want to show you the place. Okay, the physical, think physical place, the description of the physical place. Okay, the second lane I want to run in is the people. Like, who's there 
And what is their role in this place? And the third thing I want to show you is the presence of God. Place, people, presence of God. Three Ps. Keep it simple. I want to show you what's happening here in the garden. First, I want to look at the place. Okay, here in Genesis 2 is this beautiful garden named Eden. Okay, try to picture it. Okay, before sin. Okay, before brokenness, before death, there's this beautiful, lush garden named Eden. The word Eden translates literally to delight. Okay, this beautiful place here in Genesis 2. And this place is not lame and boring, but it is beautiful and colorful. It is lush. The author here is stacking language to try to help you see how beautiful this place is. And just quickly painting the scene, look at it, verse 9. It says, it, it made God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, so it's good-looking tree, and also good for food. So a lot of fruit on this tree. Beautiful place. Picture this forest. Okay, beautiful trees. And then you have the tree of life in the middle of the garden. And then a river that bursts into four rivers. And then verse 12, it says this. The gold of that land is good. As if there's gold that's not good. Okay, there's good gold here. And then other minerals just deep in the crust of the earth. Okay, you've got all these things. What the writer of Genesis is trying to communicate here is that the Garden of Eden is a bunch of raw materials. It's full of raw materials, unharvested raw materials. Think, what do I mean by that? Trees, forest, water, wind, heat, all of these minerals deep in the earth. The Garden of Eden is this place bursting with potential, unharvested potential. It's this beautiful place that Adam and Eve were placed, full of life, full of potential. And that's where the people come in. Okay, look at verse 15. Second thing, the people, look at it. The Lord God, verse 15, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, so humans' role in the garden was to, to work and keep the garden, okay, which means to cultivate or to draw out its potential. That's what the word keep means, to cultivate it to draw out potential, okay? It's this idea of taking raw materials and cultivating into something, to create, to take the things around and to create something beautiful, something purposeful. This is what mankind was created to do, okay? That's what work, theologically speaking, is. It's what work is, okay? Work is not bad. Work happened before Genesis 3. This is Genesis 2 here, man, there's work. Okay, work is not just a nine to five, Okay, as humans, you were created to work. And what is work? It's taking the things around you and organizing it into something beautiful. It's creating. It's organizing. It's helping do something in society that's purposeful. This is what work is. So this is what Adam and Eve are doing. They're in the Garden of Eden. So when you picture Eden, don't picture Adam and Eve chilling on a hammock sipping pina coladas like on vacation. They're not on a honeymoon here. Okay, this is not what this perfect world looked like before Adam and Eve. No, no, no. Don't picture like a public park in East Lansing with a playground. Don't picture the botanical garden at Michigan State. Okay, don't, Adam, Adam isn't like in the field and God said, here's a mower and like a water pail, like keep it nice. No, no, no. That's not the Garden of Eden. Think national park. Think vast wilderness. All of this beaming potential 
And Adam and Eve are placed there on purpose. Why? To take the things around them and make something beautiful. A place where they could live with their families and their families' families and forever. And so picture Adam there. He's working. And work, it's not hard for him. There's no sweat on his brow. And then you got Eve there with him, smiling, working together in this beautiful place. This is what Eden was like. Beautiful place and people to work this garden. But here's the deal. What makes this garden so nice and so precious? It's not the beauty of the place. And it's not the people working there. No, no, no. It's the presence of God in that place. The reason why the Garden of Eden is so precious is because God was there. Look back at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God, of verse 21, or chapter 21, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Okay, listen, what this is saying is we are not the result of some cosmic accident. Like, you are not the result of some cosmic accident that happened to get you here. No, no, no. You were designed and created by the God of the universe here. And he didn't just speak you into existence. No, no, no. He got close. He got the dust. And he breathed his life into humans. God got his hands dirty for us. He came close. And later in chapter 3, we see that God walks with his people. He doesn't just create them. He walks with them. He doesn't just create us out of dust. Later, the whole story of the Bible is about God and man coming together. He doesn't just create us out of dust, but Jesus comes to this dust planet and saves us. This is the whole story of the Bible, God and man together. And that's what the Garden of Eden was like, mankind with the presence of God, walking with him, enjoying him, delighting in him. It's this personal relationship. In fact, you notice the difference of the way Genesis 1 describes God in Genesis 2. I mean, look down at it. How does it describe the name of God in Genesis 1? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what does it say about Genesis 2? What does it say? No, no. It says, the Lord God. Right? All caps, L-O-R-D. That doesn't just say God, Elohim. No, it says Yahweh, Elohim. The personal name of God. We know what that name means, Right? We just saw in the book of Exodus. It's the personal name of God, Yahweh, this personal relationship that God wants with his people. We preach a whole sermon series on this. God wants to be close to his people. He's reaching out. And so take a step back. Now, that's the Garden of Eden. Place, people, presence. Picture this, man. Think for a moment. This was the original design of the world. Before sin entered the world, it was perfect here. This is plan A, if you will. The Garden of Eden, plan A, for sure. This is God's plan A. Put people in the garden, cultivate it, push it out into society. Fill the earth with babies and create stuff. That was the Garden of Eden. Now the question is, what in the world does this have to do with heaven? Like, what does this have to do with the future? You know what the answer is? A lot. A ton, actually. And I'll show it to you. Take your Bible to the end. Let's go to the book of Revelation. We went back in time. Now we'll jump forward. I want to show you that the first two chapters of your Bible are a lot like the last two chapters of the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 21. The second to last book of the Bible. 
Tonight we're going to just jump around Revelation 21, a little bit of 22, and I want to show you something, but you've got to keep Genesis 2 in your mind as we read it. Revelation chapter 21, at the end of the Bible, look at verse 1, and notice the similarities. Revelation 21, verse 1. It says this, And then, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's our hope right there. That's John's vision he gets in Revelation. Now let's talk about heaven. What is heaven? Well, the first thing I want you to know about heaven is that we're not going to be in heaven forever. We're not going to be in heaven at least in, this, in the sense that a lot of people think of it, forever. It depends how you define heaven. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you a crash course theology on what heaven is. When people die today, maybe you have a loved one who dies, they go to what we would call heaven, okay, the presence of God. Immediately, they go to be with the presence of God. The Bible says, Paul writes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so there's a sense that immediately when you die, you go to be with God in heaven. But here's the deal. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about that heaven a whole lot. Like that heaven, like this whole like you die and immediately you go to be presence of the Lord. The Bible doesn't talk about that heaven a lot. No, no, no. The Bible is more focused on when heaven meets earth. Or in other words, when heaven comes crashing down on this earth, what's happening here in Revelation 21? The new heaven and the new earth. When the Bible talks about heaven, almost always it's referring to the new heaven and new earth. Listen, this is huge. We won't be spending eternity in some sort of out-of-body, immaterial experience. That's not what heaven is going to be like forever. At least not the new heavens. And new earth, but instead, there's going to be this new heaven, new sky, or, and new earth, and we're going to have new physical bodies, a new resurrected body. First Corinthians 15 says, "We're going to be on a new earth, physical earth, with new bodies." Okay, in this verse we just read is a lot like Genesis 1:1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21:1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And in the beginning, what's interesting is. He started with a garden. But what's coming down out of the sky in Revelation 21? It's not a garden. It's what? It's a city. It's a city, right? Verse 2. He sees a city coming down from the sky. But notice this. It's not completely unlike the garden. No, there's imagery here. You've got to understand. In fact, just scan over chapter 21. Just look down at chapter 21. Just, just scan over the whole chapter. Okay, verse 10, you see John sees the city coming down. 
Okay, you, got, you can scan the rest. There's gates, there's walls, there's measurements, lots of jewels. But then flip to the beginning of 22. Look at chapter 22, verse 1. It says this. Notice the imagery. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the streets of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each season, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, notice all the language here. It says in the heavens, a new heaven, a new earth, there's a river, there's tree of life, and it says there'll be no curse. Listen, that's Genesis 2 language coming down. So notice what we're seeing here, it's not just a city, but it's a garden city. This city, that's, it's got this garden feature to it. And you have to understand, this is not plan B. Revelation 21, this city, no, no, no. It's not plan B. It's almost a continuation of plan A in the garden. No, the future is kind of like the past. It's essentially a return to the Garden of Eden. But it's no longer a garden. It's the city. God, in Revelation 21, he didn't bring Eden back. He brought something similar but different, something better. You see, it's a city that's coming down. What you have to understand is this. God, he's not going to come back destroy the earth and take it like a different direction. No, no, no. God's going to come back and he's going to restore the earth. He's going to make all things new. And he's going to go in the same direction he planned from the beginning, a garden with raw materials being pushed out. But this time it's all realized. It's now a beautiful city. All of the gold, all of the raw materials. Now it's a city coming down, this beautiful city with streets of gold, with no potholes in it. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's go, baby. It's going to be beautiful. Listen, it was never meant to stay a garden. Humans were supposed to create something beautiful, to cultivate it into this beautiful place, this glorious place. Now, here's what I want you to see. Heaven, where we spend eternity, I should say, is going to be so beautiful. And the earth that we're going to live on is going to make this one look so dull. I've heard it said that the mountains of the new earth are going to make Mount Everest look like an anthill. The most beautiful place on this earth is so lame compared to the beauties of the new earth. You're going to walk on it. You're going to see it. It is going to be so beautiful. The colors of the new earth are going to make the colors today look so dull. It's going to be bursting with joy, happiness. Our senses, are, it's going to be overload, man. This is what the new earth is going to be like. It's a physical place. It's not immaterial. The point I'm trying to make to you tonight is this. Heaven is going to be a lot more like earth than you think. It's going to be more earthy, but better. No curse. No sin. We're going to walk on it. It's going to be this beautiful place. Don't picture clouds and gray. Picture beauty. This physical place. Now let's shift gears a little bit. If that's the place, what are people going to do in heaven? Like, what are you going to be doing? 
Okay, a lot of people ask the question, what in the heck are we going to be doing for 10 billion trillion years? Are we just going to be singing? Hey, look back at chapter 22, verse 5. There's a key here. 22, verse 5. It says, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. There it is, right there. The answer to the question, what are we doing, is right here. It says, we're going to reign with God. What does that mean? Or in other words, we're going to work for God, and we're going to serve God. That's what we're going to be doing. Okay, which means there's going to be things to do in heaven, places to go, okay, people to see. Okay, heaven is not going to be like quarantine during COVID. Okay, you guys know what I'm saying? Like COVID quarantine, can't leave your house, nothing to do. You can't see anybody. That's not what heaven's going to, hell is going to be like that, okay? Hell, isolated and, and just sad everywhere. That's what hell is like, okay? The closest I'm getting to hell is quarantine in COVID 2020. <laughs> heaven, guys, the new heaven and new earth, there's going to be things to do, people to see, places to go. And so here's what I want to do. I, wanna, I made a list of some things that we're going to be doing on this new earth that I think the Bible says we're going to be doing on this new earth. What are we going to be doing? First of all, we are going to work in heaven. You heard me right. You're actually going to work in heaven. But here's the deal. It's not begrudging work. No, no, no. This is fulfilling work. Work was something happening before the fall. We're going to continue to do it forever. You're not going to get tired of this work. You're not going to have a horrible boss in this work. It's going to be satisfying. You're going to be excited for work. Adam and Eve were created to work in heaven. Now, the question is, what jobs will there be in heaven? That's an interesting question. I don't quite know, but I can't speculate, okay, because I actually think there's going to be a little bit more similarities to what we have today. Will there be nurses in heaven, doctors? No. Will there be baristas in heaven? <laughs> Construction workers, engineers, architects, farmers? I think so. We're going to work in heaven. There's going to be things to do. Okay, and with that, I think we're going to Learn in heaven. Listen to me, you're going to learn in heaven. So many people think that when you get to heaven, you're going to know everything. Listen, you're going to have a good body, a new physical body, but you're a finite creature. We're not omniscient. You're not going to know everything the moment you get to heaven. You're going to learn in heaven. You're going to learn about God in heaven. You're going to learn about reality in heaven. We're going to laugh in heaven. We're going to play in heaven. I'm almost positive sports are going to be in heaven. The devil did not create sports. Maybe some new sports, okay, that we can play with our new bodies. Okay, I'm, I'm going to look like Caleb Coley in heaven. I'm ready for this. I, guys, I think basketball is going to be in heaven. Feeling pretty good about this. I know for a fact baseball is not going to be in heaven. Baseball, baseball is boring, and they're going to be playing that in hell, I promise. Do not email me. I don't care about baseball. Not even a pitch clock can make baseball fun to watch. Christian, I'm, so, I'm sorry, dog. I'll toss you a ball in heaven. It'll be fun. Guys, I just offended that whole row of there. I'm sorry. Hey, what else are we going to do in heaven? Listen, we're going to eat food in heaven. You're going to have better food in heaven than any food you've ever had on earth. We're going to sup and dine with the Lord. Our shepherd himself is going to be our wine and bread, and you're going to eat good food in heaven. You're going to laugh in heaven. You're going to see people, I believe you're going to see people you know in heaven. 
We're going to have our memories in heaven, but without the sting, without the sting of death, you're going to remember the things of the earth and heaven. I know you will, because we're going to sing, worthy to the lamb who was slain. You're going to know these things, but without the sting, without the death. You guys know when you make it past something that was challenging and you look back because it was so rewarding, you don't feel the pain anymore. It's going to be like that times a million. It's going to be like all your bad memories are like a bad dream. You wake up and you go, huh, and you move on. That's all it's going to be. You're going to make memories in heaven. We're going to sing songs to God in heaven for all eternity. My point is this. Heaven is going to be a lot more like earth than we realize. It's going to be a restored earth, a similar but different experience. Because the difference comes from this. There'll be no more sin in heaven. No more corruption. No more death. No more cancer, no more sickness, no more curse. Can you try to think about a reality where there's no consequence for sin? There's no more sin. Think about a reality where there's no temptation to sin. I want it so bad. I hate it. But think about the reality. There's no sin, no death, no sickness, no curse. It's all undone. Think about the joy of that, to live a life without having to face insecurity, comparison, greed, anger, lust, none of that. Think about what would that be like? It would be exhilarating, complete confidence, no shame, no guilt. I want to read this paragraph from a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. A lot of work this sermon came from, came straight from that book. I love his description of heaven here. I'll just go read it to you. It says this, in heaven there'll be no death, try to imagine this, no death, no suffering, no funeral homes, no abortion clinics, no psychiatric wards, no rape, missing children, or drug rehab centers, no bigotry, no muggings, no killing, there'll be no worry or depression or economic downturns, no war, no unemployment, no con men, no locks on the doors, no death, no mourning, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis, no handicaps, no cancer, no taxes, no bills, praise God, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams and accidents, no septic tank backups, no mental illness, no unwanted emails. You'll have close friendships, but no clicks, laughter, but no put-downs, intimacy, but no temptation to immorality, no hidden agendas, no backroom deals, no betrayals, Imagine mealtimes full of stories, full of laughter, full of joy, without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything that would eclipse your joy, that will be heaven. Guys, I'm just trying to paint your picture, like a picture for you in your heart. It's going to be something that is so similar but so different. No more consequence of sin. Joy forever. That's what heaven is like. Now, here's the deal. I could stop there, but we'd miss out on the best part. Because all of that is beautiful. Like the beautiful place, work, laughter, playing sports, none of that. All of that is great, but it's not the best part of heaven. You see, the best part of heaven is not that your grandma Sue is going to be there. No, the best part of heaven is that God will be there. Look back at verse 3 of Revelation 21. This is good news. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, the best part of heaven is that right there. It's not the beautiful place. It's not your new body. It's the fact that we will walk with God forever. He will be there. The presence of God will be there. And then in chapter 22, it says, we will see his face. Verse 4, they will see his face. Listen, John, when he was writing that, I promise you, he was shaking. To see the face of God? Listen, to the Jews, they can't see the face of God. Moses got a view of the backside of God's glory, and he lit up like a lightning stick. To see the face of God, to know the depths and the heights and the wits of his love and to stand in his presence, that would be insane. Take the most exhilarating, euphoric moment of your life, times a billion, and that wouldn't even scratch the surface of the lightning bolt of joy that's going to pulsate through your body when you see his face. Friends, we're going to see his face. We're going to see the face of the king, the one who died to save you. You're going to see him. No longer will you have to look through the pages of the Bible to see him. No, you're going to see him face to face. Like a bride turning the corner and seeing her groom for the first time. That's what it's going to be like to see him entering heaven. While everybody screams his name, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. We're going to see his face. That's the most beautiful part of heaven. I've heard it said that heaven without God is like a honeymoon without the groom and a kingdom without the king. Listen, you can have the mountains, the beauty, the jet skis in heaven. Give me Jesus. That's the point of heaven. Don't aim at heaven and miss Jesus. It's all about him. Our relationship with God is going to deepen and deepen. Heaven will not be boring because God is not boring. We will grow in our knowledge of him. We're constantly going to be more amazed with God, more in love with God. Our relationship with him will deepen and develop and unfold and increase forever. Heaven will be ever-increasing delight in Jesus as we worship him forever. And friends, that's not going to be boring. It's going to be amazing. This is what the Bible says about heaven. A beautiful new earth, people to worship God forever, and the presence of God. Guys, my hope tonight is that God has begun to open the eyes of your heart to get a glimpse of his beauty, the beauty of heaven. Because as Christians, we don't just look backwards at the cross to get hope. No, we look forward to the hope that Jesus, who died for us, who rose again, will one day come back and get us. The king who saved us will one day walk with us. That's the hope. That's the hope that we have. All things will be new. To finally see the face of the man who died for me, that will be incredible. No more sin. No more joy. It reminds me of a hymn I used to sing as a, as a kid. It says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. He takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. I'll close with this. If you're not a Christian, for those of you not in Christ, I do pray that the beauty of heaven actually draws you to the glory of the cross. It's only through him that you enter this. You see, people pay a lot of money to go on nice vacations with their friends. They pay a lot of money. 
Listen, we're talking about the eternal vacation with the greatest friend, Jesus. And it costs a lot of money for him to pay for your way. You can't pay it on your own, but he has paid for it. The only way is through faith. And if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you. Heaven is your home, and Jesus is your king. For us to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Let me pray for us, and we'll sing.